2: You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to The Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Hello and welcome to The Archaeology Show, episode 220.
2: On today's show, we talk about kites, poops, and receipts.
0: Let's dig a little deeper, but make sure you got that protective gear on. (laughs) All right, welcome to the show, everybody. Rachel, how's it going?
2: Great. (laughs) I'm great. (laughs) I like how
0: when I just hit record, you're not. I had no
2: idea you were hitting record, so I'm like talking about something else, and you're like, "Welcome to the show." I'm like, "Okay, all right, yeah, doing this."
0: Yeah. So we are actually recording from North Carolina. We bounced across the country.
2: Yes, but not with the RV. Not with the RV. We flew here to visit my family. Yes, that's right. (laughs) for the For the Memorial Day holiday.
0: Yep, going out to the ocean for the week. It's yep. going to be nice. Yeah, so. super fun. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. There is there. Well, it is here. There, and it's, it's just, there.
2: Well, it was there, but now it's here. And
0: then it's going to be there. So it that will be dumb. there.
1: <laughs>
2: okay.
0: So, we talked, and I'll link to this in the show notes, because it coincidentally, I just talked about this on the Rock Art Podcast yeah. with Dr. Alan Garfield. And you
2: guys went way in depth on it. We
0: did, because yeah. he's a rock art expert, but Desert Kites. Mm-hmm. It was episode mm-hmm. 165, 169, something like that, yeah. that we talked about this as so, a news article, and they're back in the news. So let's talk about that. The link is again in the show notes, but. Desert kites are pretty prominent in Jordan and Saudi Arabia. In fact, there's tons of them there. There's also some in Syria and Mm -hmm. and some other places around Kind of all
2: over the Middle East, but that's where they're clustered at. Right. We'll get to
0: some densities a little bit later, but Mm -hmm. they date to anywhere from, you know, seven or so to 9,000 years old. And they're basically game drive structures. Yeah. Used to herd gazelles and antelopes into pits in the corners.
2: Where they could then, you know, kill them, kill them, and have yeah. them for food. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so, a lot of them, and it so it was clearly like a pretty common method of oh yeah of hunting in that time period in that place.
0: Yeah, and some of them, some single kites, they know just because of things found around it that they've been used for over a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they use these things pretty regularly. Yep. But we'll talk about some of their purpose later on. But uh, anyway. How would you know how to build one? Yeah. You know, they all kind of look the same.
2: And how would you know to do it too, right? Yeah. Like, how do you, where does that knowledge come from?
0: Right. Well, an archaeologist named Remy Cressard from the French National Center for Scientific Research has done a study. And this wasn't like recent research. Some of these things have been known for a little while. And mm-hmm. he just kind of pulled everything together into this article.
1: Mm-hmm. But, uh,
0: he says they found what people are calling blueprints for these complex structures actually carved on boulders nearby. Okay. So,
2: so rock art, basically.
0: Well, they are rock art. Yeah, yeah it's rock art. Yeah, they're inscribed, and, and they look to scale just yeah. like the desert kites that are on the ground near them.
2: That's really cool. So yeah. that's one way to transition or share the knowledge of how to do these things from one person or one group to another.
0: Yeah, some people are calling this the the oldest like blueprints or plans that you see for a, for your monumental structure. Mm-hmm. There have been other plans like this kind of found mostly from Egypt. You know, you see drawings of like pyramids and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yep. And some from Mesopotamia around 7,000 years old. But mm-hmm. nothing has ever been this like precise and drawn yeah. to scale and this old at the same time. Right, right. Right. So, I mean, there's obviously been precise things illustrated, but not that were this old. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, people just didn't realize how, uh, I guess, the knowledge that they had of doing these kinds of things back then. And I've always said, you know, our brains aren't really all that much different than they were. 15, 20,000 years right. ago, right now, we may have a little bit of different cognitive development because we live in a different culture and society, obviously, mm-hmm. but they were certainly capable of doing whatever they needed to do. Yeah, for sure. You know? Yeah.
2: So, this drawing or blueprint, if you want to call it that, yeah. <laughs> it was found beside one of the ancient kites in Jordan. And it was an engraving of a kite that's roughly 80 centimeters long, 32 centimeters wide, and that's about 32 inches by 13 inches. And that it sounds like that basically. Matches the nearby kites. Like, yeah. it's it's a, a plan for one of the larger ones that you can yeah. see on the landscape.
0: Yeah, there's seven other nearby kites built to the same blueprints.
1: Yeah, yeah. so they're all the and same.
0: They're star-shaped, essentially. I think I mentioned that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's a star-shaped enclosure with pits in the corners and curved driving lines, right? And,
2: like, star-shaped is very... Yeah. Uh, that's subjective, I feel like. Because, like, when you look at it, it's like a blobby... <laughs> star that might be running i don't know
0: (laughs) it's only star shaped in the fact that it's got i think like five actual pits on it
2: and yeah so there's like five points that each have a pit on the end of them they're kind of cool looking like there's the points coming off of this larger area and then at the end of each of those points you can really see that there is like this circular thing that was probably the pit and some of them are bigger than others too so it is clearly Mm -hmm. a very well thought out piece of architecture
0: yeah, one of those big ones was actually found in 2015. It's a desert kite inscribed on a sandstone boulder, and the boulder itself is about nine feet wide by six oh, feet wow. tall. They didn't really mention how big the inscription was, mm-hmm. but it's implied that it's way bigger. That it's as because big of the size as that
2: boulder, possibly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, and that boulder sits right smack in the middle of two pairs of star-shaped desert kites that correspond to the shapes on the engraving.
2: Very cool. And
0: it also said in the article that there's actually entrances to the kites, like kind of like openings, I guess. Mm-hmm. These weren't like huge walls; they were only a couple rocks high. Yeah, it was enough to, I guess, thwart the gazelle and the antelope because mm-hmm. they're like, nope, that looks different. I'm going the other way.
2: Yeah, it's kind of crazy they wouldn't just jump over it, but yeah, if it was too scary and weird to them, they yeah. they wouldn't risk it. Right? No. Too risky. Yeah, it was too
0: foreign, and they <laughs> yeah. were being chased, and they were nervous, and yeah, you know, they were they were fleeing because. They don't fight. (laughs) Right. But yeah. And and they said that, I guess, near this boulder, there was actually some openings there because they would drive game into the kite. Mm -hmm. Right. They first had to kind of get them in there. They'd probably go in just naturally because if they're just chill and, you know, looking for food, they'll probably just step over the rocks. Right. But if they're all, you know, hurried and being chased, you know, it it looks like something different. So, yeah, um, they're stampeding
2: basically. Right. yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, But they they did have kind of entrances that could be used to sort of drive them into the enclosure. Mm -hmm. And these enclosures were enormous. They're not like a pen. Yeah. Like they're huge.
2: Yeah. If it was small, I imagine that the desire to not jump over it would would go away and they would just do it because it was small and they had nowhere else to go. But these big ones, they could sort of run around within it and not have to jump over a wall, Mm -hmm. you know. So I think that's how that worked.
0: Now, these have been called World's Oldest Blueprints, which implies... That they were made before the actual desert kites were made, mm-hmm. but we don't actually know that, right? True. So what can what could be some other uses of it? Well, they say that they could be maps of already constructed kites, like they made the desert kite mm-hmm. and then etched it on the on the rock, inscribed it on the rock in order to use for planning. Right. Like okay, so you know, John, you're gonna be over here, Mike, you get over there, and yeah. then we're gonna do this. <laughs> I'm sure those weren't their names. John and Mike. Got it. John and Mike. Yep. (laughs) Yep. They could also be used for, can you name it? What's one other thing they could be used for?
2: Ritual. Yay.
0: (laughs) Because, and that's actually not too much of a joke. No,
2: it's not. Some
0: of these, again, there's evidence they've been used for thousands of years. And the archaeologist in the article here was... He basically said these people ate, slept and breathed desert kites because yeah. it was their sole not sole source but it was a major their source main of their food source yeah It would have been a big activity pretty much every day if not week of their lives cuz mm-hmm. you know one antelope would feed a family for a week but right. you know it would have been a constant activity mm-hmm. and a constant probably maintenance and and just thinking about these yeah, things Yeah like
2: as soon as they they had one successful hunt they'd probably begin planning the next one yeah. cuz by the time they were done with the planning you know they are they'd finished the food they had and they needed right. to do it again
0: yeah. So yeah. for those reasons, it could have been ceremonial to, yeah. to gather around the boulder and almost like, you know, like today people would gather around something like that and pray, mm-hmm. you know, and say, oh, let's, let's do this thing. Right. Yeah.
2: Whatever rituals they had as right. uh, people. I mean,
0: they do that before football games. Yeah. Right. Like it's just, it's just a thing people have have done yeah. for a long time. So why wouldn't they have done it here?
2: I could totally see that yeah, for sure. Yeah. As a,
0: as a pre-hunting sort of, mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Or even... You know, not that they met every Sunday for church, but, you know, something that where they would regularly meet <laughs> to like, you know, just give thanks or ask the gods whatever they believed in for, you know, mm-hmm. favorable hunts or something. Did it,
2: did it mention if there are any other markings on the rock with the uh, kites? They, they didn't mention them. OK, because it that would doesn't be, mean there aren't. It would be interesting if it was some kind of like ownership type of thing, too. Like if yeah. there were multiple bands of people in the area if if one group were like okay i'm gonna inscribe this on this rock here along with these other markings and this says that this kite is mine yeah. you know like some kind of ownership sort of deal
0: it's it's possible yeah. uh, i think if i think if there was it would have been mentioned yeah they probably it,
2: would have mentioned it It would also
0: surprise me that there weren't any other markings which might yeah. also lead to the ritualistic significance of these could be like yeah. you're not going to deface the rock with other stuff yeah totally you know mm-hmm. and you know, these things, like I said, are massive. And you might be thinking, well, how many of these could there possibly be? There's over 6,000 of them mm-hmm. found across the Middle East yeah, and Central so Asia. Yeah, so many. Yeah.
2: I, I imagine, like, because they're not very tall, right? So that the construction of them was probably fairly simple. Yeah. You know, you know what's interesting, though, is, like, we're looking at an aerial image of it, right? Mm-hmm. So we can see what the whole shape of it looks like from above, which would have been a view that they didn't have. Right. And I'm not going the ancient aliens route. Just <laughs> get that out of your head. It's not a thing. Aliens didn't build these. Sure, But it does make you wonder if they drew this on the rock after the fact, how would they know the exact shape? I well, don't know. It's like it's the chicken and egg situation. Like
0: not not really, though. And I think people always say that, though, but I think that's our our modern bias towards how we think of things, because yeah. your, your average human today, us included, we don't often have to think of how something looks conceptually and then actually create that. Mm -hmm. But you actually do
1: Mm -hmm. artists
0: do this, right? Like you, you design knitting patterns and you get something in your head and you have to get that thing in your head down on on a pattern. Right. And then you have to make it in a thing. Mm -hmm. And I think it was more common for somebody living back in this environment to be able to conceive of how this is going to work. And even like pacing it out and saying, okay, so, you know, even though I can't see this from above, I know that, You know, on our drawing here, we have it going from here to here. Yeah. It would have been easier to reconstruct the drawing based on the thing.
2: That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it
0: did go that way.
2: And actually your your comparison to knitting patterns is really interesting because yeah, I get an idea in my head and I'll sketch something out on paper for what I think it is gonna look like or what I want it to look like. Mm -hmm. But then when you get into the actual mechanics of doing it, Mm -hmm. stuff changes. You know, like just the oh, that won't work the way I wanted it to, it changes. So that would make me think that if they are truly exact images or blueprints, then it was more of an after the fact drawing rather than a before drawing, unless they already had one that was successful that they liked and they were trying to copy it. And in that case, I would think that that is, but it's still a copy of one that already happened. Anyway, that's just my speculation. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, and it's possible that they, they had failed designs too, because of the sheer number of them, right?
2: Yeah, totally. Uh, In
0: parts of Syria, Jordan and Saudi Arabia, There's up to one kite for every square kilometer.
2: so many kites. I mean,
0: it's just like you can't... so
2: many. You can't
0: walk through the desert without tripping over a desert kite. Yeah, totally. I'm like, why do antelope and gazelle even go there? It's just a death zone.
2: (laughs) Well, but like you said, when they're just like moseying around grazing, they don't even know or care about it. It's when they get them running that they get scared and don't want to jump those walls.
0: Well, like I said earlier, this shows that even 7,000 years ago or more... People are willing to design and construct monumental structures that mm-hmm. utilize the landscape. And uh, another thing you notice from this picture is there's at least two spots I can see on here. One on the left-hand side is, as the picture is oriented, mm-hmm. where they use the natural boulders in the landscape as, oh, a, true. as a border. And yeah. then in the upper right side of it, it almost looks like there's an outcropping there that they it used as well.
2: It does. Yeah, they. I bet yeah. they would take advantage of the natural landscape. Yeah. Wh- why not, right? Use That's it smart. to your advantage.
0: And in the bottom right and bottom left, it almost looks like this is on a little bit of a plateau
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that it falls off into the pits. So the mm-hmm. antelope would have like jumped down. There's probably like people lying in wait down there.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cause the pits wouldn't necessarily hold the antelope. They had to like get in there pretty quick and kill whatever they needed for, you know, their hunt. Right. Yeah. Cause I bet they would figure out they could jump the wall at some point and they right. would get out
0: Well, they were probably so excited about doing these things that much like the people of Jerusalem 2,500 years ago, they just crapped themselves with excitement. (laughs) Oh, my God. Back in a minute.
1: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help.
0: I didn't mention this at the beginning, but we kind of have a whole Middle Eastern theme going on here. We
2: do. Yeah, Yeah. because this article is in Jerusalem and actually so is the next article. So it's like Middle Eastern and specifically Jerusalem. I know. Yeah.
0: So when you click on the link for this next article called Ancient Toilets Unearthed in Jerusalem Reveal a Debilitating and Sometimes Fatal Disease, it's a rock with a hole in it. Uh Uh-huh. Now, it's it's a very square rock. Which I find interesting. So it was definitely carved was to be that way. That way yeah, it was sure. shaped that way. Yeah, it was shaped that way. Yeah. was a very good hole in it that mm-hmm. looks like it was augered out with like a drill. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an amazingly like symmetrical round hole.
2: Yep. And
0: I don't really know. People, archaeologists always like to put scales and stuff, but then they don't put any measurements on it. Yeah, so like, scales are 100% useless.
2: Like, what is that scale?
0: <laughs> it looks like it's probably five centimeters. Yeah. If I had to guess, it's probably not 10, but if it were five, that would put it at five, 10,
2: 25 centimeters, 25
0: centimeters across, which is 12 inches, give 20, or take 10 inches,
2: four inches for 10 centimeters.
0: Okay. So yeah. So about eight, yeah. 10 inches. Yeah. About yeah. that. Yeah. Which isn't very big, which means this probably isn't five centimeters. Yeah. Probably not 25 across. Yeah. Either way.
2: Either way, we have no idea because no the idea. scale is not defined. <laughs> I'll
0: tell you what, I don't know if I could hit that hole no matter how big it is. It's uh, it's pretty small, but do
2: you think there could have been an attachment on top of it? like something that was oh, bowl maybe. shaped maybe. to direct like a pot. liquids yeah. yeah yeah
0: well let's we're we're getting ahead of ourselves we are um, we do that
2: all the time we I love just, to jump ahead <laughs> i
0: just want to point out that sometimes archaeology isn't as glamorous as tv and movies make it out to be yeah <laughs> we've definitely been in situations where we're just like hacking through briars where yeah. you know we're just scrambling over pits we're, we're picking up somebody else's cans and trash mm. yeah. and just like measuring them in detail
2: yeah well we are as a group, we're obsessed with what gets left behind. Right. And we're obsessed with waste. Yes. Waste trash. Yes. That's what we, that's what we have. That's all we've got. So, and you know what waste includes? Poop. Poop.
0: (laughs) You know, that might be why, well, I wouldn't say this is true of all archaeologists. It's definitely true of us. We've gone like the other direction. Like I'm very conscious of my archaeological record. I'm leaving behind and I don't want it to be big. Are you
2: doing like leave no trace archaeological record style?
0: I think I am. (laughs) Yeah. Like I, I want to own very few things.
2: But that would be a physical waste. Oh, yeah. It, your digital your plenty. digital waste is... My is, digital
0: waste and <laughs> and then my, my latrine waste is actually just the same as everybody else's. Yes, so,
2: right. Anyway.
0: Anyway, so in Jerusalem, some archaeologists analyzed 2,500-year-old poop from ancient pit toilets. <laughs>
2: Why do I have to say poop like that?
0: You just have to. Okay. It's written in a CNN article.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. poop happens.
0: That's right. So we'll get to it, but traces of dysentery causing parasites were found below two stone toilets belonging to elite households. And these weren't toilets in the same house. No. They were just two different stone two toilets. Two
2: toilets, yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, Jerusalem at this time, 2,500 years ago, was at the center of the Assyrian Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was home to between, and this is quite the range, 8,000 and 25,000 people. That is quite I'm the like, range. We should have a better idea of that. I don't know why we don't.
2: I think it's just hard. You, yeah. You probably maybe. have conflicting records and so you don't want to be wrong so you just do the whole range right (laughs) well and it was
0: also the center of the political and religious center of the Assyrian empire yeah you know as it is for a lot of people today anyway yeah but it was uh because of that there were probably a lot of transients and travelers coming through
2: oh sure and and probably certain times a year there's more people there than other times because of various religious ceremonies and other things that would bring more people so that might account for the range it just depended on the time of year the season yeah
0: so, I'm going to read a quote here from Dr. Pierce Mitchell, who's the lead author of the study that is referenced in the article. He says that dysentery is spread by feces contaminating drinking water or food. And we suspect it could have been a big problem in early cities of the ancient Near East due to overcrowding, heat and flies, and limited water available during the summer. So, makes sense. Yeah. I mean, Heat and flies, I mean, honestly, what that means is not only was the the latrine or the pit that they dug out for this probably seeping into the drinking water, Mm -hmm. but flies would just, like, land on this and then probably go land in a well that Mm -hmm. has drinking water. They would just, like, transmit the the feces around. Well,
2: and also, like, these two... Toilets that we're looking at specifically are really nice, fancy stone toilets, right? Yeah. In the fancy houses. Oh, yeah. I don't think that the lower classes would have had a similar situation. And they might have been dumping waste, like, right into their water sources. Right. Like, the river or whatever it was that they got their water from. So, it probably could get pretty... Yeah. Pretty rank around there in this in the summer. Right.
0: People started living closer to each other and started living in cities before they figured out plumbing.
2: Yes, for yeah. sure. And they
0: just didn't understand how to do it. They just kept cramming more people into a small space. And yeah,
2: and just didn't yeah. know what kind of effects the waste that they were creating no. was having.
0: Well, they had no idea these microorganisms exist. Yeah. They had no idea that... You know, disease was related to things like that. They mm-hmm. still thought that it was caused by gods and, th- yeah. and, th- and just like their behavior. Yep. And yeah. So anyway, eggs, which is so super gross. Eggs <laughs> of four types of intestinal <laughs> parasites were found, including tapeworm, pinworm, roundworm, and whipworm.
2: Ugh. God, just the thought of that yeah. in my body is like so gross. I know, but the, yeah. the
0: microorganism, the microorganisms that actually cause dysentery are fragile and pretty hard to find. Oh, so they use this technique that it's actually mentioned in the article. I didn't write it down in my notes because I didn't think it was important, but now I want to know what it is. It's called <laughs> ELISA, E L I S A, and it's all capital letters, which means it stands for something. Yeah, yeah. It's like CRISPR, which is the I can't remember what it stands for, but that's like the technique they use to basically splice like DNA. For, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, But anyway, they use this technique, which essentially uses antibodies that bind on to proteins that are uniquely produced by particular species of single celled organisms. Okay. So these single celled organisms, they produce these proteins and these guys, they know what they are and they Mm -hmm. have these antibodies. Antibodies link, like link themselves to proteins. That's what they do. And so if they latch on to a particular protein, that means it exists. Okay. Which means the species exists. That
2: means, is, okay, got yeah, it. So you're yeah. basically and...
0: linking onto to their waste.
2: Yeah. Wow. That's <laughs> so cool and really yeah, crazy. <laughs> I
0: know. <laughs> yeah. They tested for Entamoeba. I don't know how to say that. Entamoeba?
2: Yeah, Entamoeba.
0: Entamoeba, Giardia, and Cryptosporidium. Sporidium. Cryptosporidium. Yeah. These are the most common microorganisms responsible for diarrhea and could be behind outbreaks of dysentery.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Only the test for Giardia, however, was positive. The others were not.
2: Right. And Giardia is still a thing today. Like I know. Y- you hear about it at the hot springs in Nevada mm-hmm. when there's cows nearby and then the Giardia just gets into the system and into the hot spring and you have to be very careful. <laughs> Isn't
0: that what they call like when you're drinking from like streams where you have to clean the water? They call it yeah. beaver fever.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They
0: can transmit Giardia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, like we said, this area would have had to deal with these things first because the Middle East was the first place where humans first developed agriculture, domesticated animals and started creating settlements and becoming more sedentary. Mm -hmm. And from that came towns, cities, just more people crammed together in a smaller place. And they're all just... You know having a good time drinking, making art, and creating fun new diseases mm-hmm. for everybody to enjoy to and share. enjoy together yeah yep and just and also this, die
2: from you know right they're mm-hmm. just creating
0: this petri dish where these microorganisms that have a life cycle that is extremely short can evolve quickly mm-hmm. because of their short lifespan, yep yeah, so that's gross,
2: yeah, that's yeah. super gross one of the interesting things about this article to me though is that the sort of class differences that you can sort of start imagining mm-hmm. like with this pretty beautiful really and nicely made stone toilet which i think probably would have had some kind of something on top of it yeah maybe like a like a bowl with a hole in it or something you I'm know not putting
0: my fancy ass on hard stone rock <laughs> i want a cushion you want a cushion and i want a ceramic bowl
2: yeah, well i don't know if you <laughs> want to sit on a ceramic bowl that we doesn't do,
0: i do every day <laughs> <laughs>
2: Fair, I guess they could have made something sturdy <laughs> enough, but
0: <laughs> porcelain. Oh yeah, they have porcelain back then. there? No, I
2: don't think so. Is porcelain that old? Uh, porcelain. It probably is in the in, in the, the far east in the far east. Yeah, like yeah, China. yeah, yeah. But anyway, so that just is really interesting to me because it does make me wonder if the people in the upper classes that had a toilet like this mm-hmm. would be more protected from the microorganisms in their waste, whereas you imagine that the lower classes probably had more close contact with it and maybe they were then you know getting it more
0: maybe but it's clear that the people who were using this toilet had these diseases yeah, <laughs> yeah. they had the I mean, microorganisms in their it's in their, pr- their yeah. waste i guess yeah. my
2: question would be like is the rate the same oh, between yeah. the different classes yeah. i i don't know if there's a way to right to know that but it would be interesting to see
0: yeah man yeah super gross
2: Yep. Yeah, totally
0: anyway mm-hmm. what i'm wondering too is with these I guess, latrines, they were calling them, privies. Mm-hmm. They're basically a hole that's dug out underneath where you're using the toilet. Yeah. But that has to also be excavated periodically as well. You're not just going to move yeah. your toilet in your house. Right. You know? So I think if somebody did excavate that for me and it was not done very well, I would want my money back. And for that, I'd probably have to keep my receipt. <laughs> we'll talk about Jerusalem receipts in a minute. Back in a minute.
2: <laughs> I not know where you're going with that. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode two twenty, and we're gonna talk about a two thousand year old stone receipt discovered in Jerusalem.
2: Yeah, so we're moving forward in time a little bit here. This is newer than our our last <laughs> segment, but it is still Jerusalem. So they're mm-hmm. making some good discoveries there these days.
0: And it's not a receipt for cleaning out your latrine. Well, like I imply I
2: mean we don't know. Maybe, Maybe it is. <laughs> I
0: mean it's got writing <laughs> it's
2: on it. It's got writing on it. We don't know what it's a receipt for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this article is called A 2000 Year Old Chalkstone Receipt Carved with Customer Names and Prices was Just Uncovered in Jerusalem. And this is pretty breaking news. It just came out a couple days ago, mm-hmm. basically. And what it is, it's a fragment of a heavy stone lid of an ossuary with seven lines of text on it. Yeah. And those lines are partially legible because it is just a fragment. But they do appear to be people's names and sums of money, which is where the receipt piece of this comes from. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, they are likely what they think is a, a record of financial transactions, like a payment for workers or people who owed money.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's like a ledger. Oh, is this like the guy who like has guys that go around and like pummel people for money? This is his list of who owes him and, like, who needs to be pummeled.
0: I mean, maybe, but it was a stone <laughs> lid of an ossuary.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, I don't... They did not explain why it's an ossuary. I had some... Maybe it's reused, you know, just a reused piece of stone. I don't know, I mean, but. maybe,
0: or did somebody just, like, want everybody to know that, listen, I might be dead, but you owe me. <laughs> but
2: you guys all owe me, <laughs> and here's your names, and here's the sum of money. Oh, my God, that is so... <laughs> That would be the most like vindictive thing that yeah. you could possibly do to publicly shame the people that owe you right. money when you die.
0: Like I'm taking this to the grave.
2: Like I know that I can't do anything about getting this money back right now, <laughs> but I'm going to publicly shame you. Exactly. <laughs> it's just, it's like so deeply like mean and human that I kind of love it. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. that's, I'm going to say that's what that was. All right. The authors are saying though, that it's like an ancient receipt. <laughs> Now, receipts are not something that usually survive the archaeological record because they're just like, they're too mundane and nobody really purposely preserves them. You more find them by chance or, you know, maybe in a situation where like a larger institution might preserve its receipts, you know, but like an individual, it just doesn't really happen that often. Right, right. So the stone was dated to between 100 BCE and 100 CE. So it's straddling that millennia change there right at the time of jesus if that is your cup of tea like all that was going on in jerusalem at that time and based on the script as well as similarities to other inscriptions that's where the the date comes from yeah
0: yeah Yeah. sure yeah because language was changing i wouldn't say quickly but enough that we can track Mm -hmm. track that you know and say well if it's written like this, then it must date to around this time frame. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. And there's always trends too, like trends and how they write things and the way it looks. So you can follow that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So. One of the inscriptions is for somebody called Shimon? Shimon? Shimon. Shimon. Yeah. And that is followed by the Hebrew letter Mem. Okay. And Mem is apparently an abbreviation of Ma'at, which is the Hebrew word for money. Okay. So that's where they're getting this whole money thing from
0: and shimon was like john in <laughs> early roman times
2: yeah it was like a popular biblical name yeah. so.
0: although while i haven't exactly read all of the bible i've literally never heard the word word shimon mentioned in any sort of biblical reference uh, not that i'm a no, scholar on it. But i'm not either if it's so common but i think why it I've was it? i
2: think it was common for them but not necessarily common now, if this that makes is sense, popular
0: biblical name.
2: Yeah, that's what they said in the article. Yeah, that's crazy. Yep.
0: Hmm. Anyway, the stone fragment was found in a debris pile during a salvage excavation. More CRM.
2: Uh huh. <laughs> on
0: Pilgrimage Road, so kind of a popular place.
2: Yeah, the road extends about six hundred meters, and it connected Jerusalem City Gate. With the gates of Temple Mount and Temple Mount is where the second temple was located. Yeah. So basically like the city was over here and it was 600 meters away was where their temple where they would go for all their religious purposes, ceremonies and things like that. So there's basically a lot of traffic on this road at that time. People going back and forth for various Mm -hmm. religious reasons to the temple.
0: Just let note for the listeners, Rachel's wildly gesticulating with her hands. I don't know if you could see that. I always that, but...
2: wildly gesticulate when I'm talking about this kind of stuff. <laughs> so do you. It's over
0: here. It's over there. I hope you guys can visualize. Look,
2: it's over in the living room, and then the temple is over in the bedroom, okay?
0: <laughs> nice.
2: Oh Yeah.
0: Yeah. In the early Roman period, so from about 37 BCE to 70 CE, This road that we're talking about was heavily trafficked and was probably a commercial hub. Lending credence to what I was saying 500 years earlier about the amount of traffic coming through there. Yes. It's even more now.
2: It is. Yeah. And this was the road that connected these two places, but also they found stone weights and measuring tables yeah. in some of the excavations that they've they done on this road. And that's the kind of thing that you see for commerce. So yeah. it it's like, I am imagining this road that was just like lined with vendors, with vendors selling things. Yeah. And oh, and they had worse to have, than
0: a beach in Mexico.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But those guys are on the move, right? Like this is, it sounds like it must've been somewhat established if they're finding remains of weights well, and tables and things, you know, it, it all depends
0: on what the, what the, customers are doing right the customers were sitting on the beach yeah. and the vendors had to be on the move to get new customers but here people are walking <laughs> so the people down the are on the move so yeah the, vendor the vendors just wait yeah it's a yeah. drive
2: drive-by situation yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> so jerusalem has a really interesting history with the romans and basically it 37 bce is when herod the great captured jerusalem after a 40-day siege and he was there kind of like sanctioned by the Romans. Basically, he wasn't Roman, but he was from Judea, but they they sanctioned him to be there basically. Okay. And so he took over the city and he actually built the second temple too. Oh. And he led Jerusalem into a time of prosperity basically. Yes. And it was a really great time until he died and he had heirs and things didn't go well. And then they brought in the, 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 Pontius Pilate guys, whose name I can't remember what they are right now, but the, you know, the Mm -hmm. guy that executed Jesus, those guys, the protectorate people came in, they ran Jerusalem for a while. There was a lot of strife by the time we get to the 70 CE time period the Jewish people rose up in revolt and Rome squashed them and burnt down their temple. That is a really quick and dirty history, but I just thought it was interesting to know the, the backdrop of what is going on at this time with this temple and the heavily trafficked road in between the city and the temple. So there you go. There's your five minute history of Jerusalem.
0: (laughs) So apart from the roads, sanitation and the aqueduct, what did the Romans ever give us? (laughs) Got to bring on a Monty Python quote yeah, if we're talking about time. Jerusalem in two different articles. Yeah,
2: every time. <laughs> yeah,
0: so it's time to watch Life of Brian again. Oh,
2: I know. I haven't seen that one in a really long a, time. You want
0: a good history of that area? That's just how oh, you watch it. Do you think that it's, it's from a secondhand source? So you have to. It's not Jesus. It's Brian. <laughs> oh my god. So you know.
2: Oh anyway. man. Yep.
0: All right. Well, there's lots of cool things coming out there, and as we head into the field season for a lot of places in the Northern Hemisphere. It's kind of interesting because news articles continue to come out because journals continue to publish, but Mm -hmm. you, you, I feel like there should really be like a a drop off in this kind of stuff because people are doing a lot of field work over the summer, Mm -hmm. just because a lot of people that do this field work are also academic professors and they teach and do their analysis and write up during the school year. Yeah.
2: They get that stuff done by the end of the year and then they're heading out into another field season. Right. Yeah.
0: That means that we might see a lot more press releases like this because, you know, they haven't had time to write it up, but they still want to get it out there. Mm-hmm. And in some places, you know, it's it's really important for them to do that. You don't often see that with U.S. CRM projects unless it's a high profile project. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's somewhere that everybody can see and it's not you can't hide it and it's not a, in the middle of the desert in Nevada for a mm-hmm. mine somewhere that's run out of Canada. Yep. Mm-hmm. Then you're probably going to hear about it in a press release. Mm-hmm. But otherwise. Yeah.
2: So speaking of press releases, I thought it might be kind of fun to just do like a quick update on Miami. Oh, my God. We have a little bit of extra time in this segment and there was an article that came out recently about it and we weren't going to talk about it because it's not really archaeology related, but we do talk about Miami on here kind of a lot since we both worked Mm -hmm. on the project there 20 years ago, but the new project is ongoing. 20 years ago. Uh, 17, 18 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. 2005. Oh my God. (laughs) That was 18 years ago, my friend. That's, yeah.
0: That's, that's upsetting. <laughs> I know.
2: So anyway, <laughs> there's a a recent article that came out called Archaeologists at the Ancient Tequesta Site in Miami Are Getting Sick at Risk of Cancer. Yeah. And it does seem a little bit alarmist, but there's probably some truth there. And it is really interesting that the way the archaeology companies i'm not going to name anybody we don't need to go down that road it's all in the article if you want to go read it which we'll link to in the show notes Mm -hmm. but some of the archaeologists have reported getting sick and various different symptoms rashes vomiting diarrhea upset stomach that kind of thing nausea yeah and they're saying that they're being exposed to chemicals on this excavation that they're working on which is an old Old oil tank storage area from a while ago, and they they say that that's yeah. causing illness. So
0: I didn't know that. Well, the other articles we read didn't say we used to be there. No,
2: they didn't. And this was not true of the area that we worked in. I well, not I don't. That we know of not there that was we a know
0: Tell on there that we know, but
2: right. But we and we they're smelling things. Like they say that they things like smell really bad yeah. as they're digging through. So anyway, it's just really interesting to see how that is progressing, mm-hmm. and hopefully they're going to mediate any unsafe circumstances or you know this is just a complaint and the investigation is still ongoing so we don't know how valid the complaints are yet not that i want to take away anybody's you know thunder but there's still an investigation to be done so yeah
0: and this is why doing historical background research on places is really important not just to understand what you might find but for the safety of the Mm archaeologists as well i'm shocked that They didn't plan for this a little better and just prepare for it and have them wearing protective gear just in case they found something. Yeah. Do you remember when we worked in North Carolina near the Cape Fear River? I
2: do. I know what you're. Yeah. There
0: was one spot where it just like smelled. It smelled
2: terrible. Yeah.
0: I don't know what it was or what was going on there. It was
2: kind of like a chemical smell. And.
0: What did we do for that? Didn't we like, we had to wear gloves for sure.
2: We wore gloves. I think we ended up not digging there.
0: Yeah, maybe like
2: they were maybe going to do more testing, but they decided not to for yeah. safety reasons or something like that. I, d- I never felt unsafe though. Like when we started smelling something weird, they, yeah, we like they backed away. Yeah. We backed out yeah. immediately, but
0: we weren't forced to dig in it.
2: No. Well, and everybody does have a choice. So you do wonder like how up, cl- up front they were with potential yeah. safety concerns, but yeah, You know, if it's an actual like hazmat issue, you need to have full gear for that. And they're clearly not doing that. I have seen projects like old hospitals and things like that where people do have to wear like full hazmat gear. So if they were worried about safety, then that should have been the route that they went. But I don't know.
0: One other time I could think that we were in a potentially unsafe situation. But again, we're able to get out of it is I remember this one, this one mine. And I want to say it was it's south of I-80. Between like Battle Mountain and, and wherever. But anyway, mm-hmm. it was this mine. I remember oh, like exactly where Beowale it was.
2: Oh, there? Like out that way? But down
0: south of oh, there. okay. Yeah. And yeah. I remember working out there. And we saw these barrels that had like this white substance in it. And oh. cyanide was used a lot yeah. to
2: help.
0: Was it silver? I think it was for silver. It helps. Essentially, this like isn't the right separate? term, but it helps like dissolve or melt away the rock mm-hmm. and, and leaves silver behind. Okay. Right? So yeah. it helps get rid of the matrix that's not the right way to say it exactly but it helps to extract mm-hmm. the silver i think it was. it was either silver or gold that's mm-hmm. one of the two things they were using that for but yeah you could smell this like i don't know if it was cyanide they say it smells like almonds i think but it didn't old cyanide didn't smell like almonds
2: well it's something that's been sitting out in the desert for you know a hundred years maybe like how could you know whatever it
0: was it was a funky white substance that didn't smell great in a Ooh, big barrel <laughs> yeah stay away
2: just stay away <laughs>
0: yeah you just don't want to get yeah. in on that Yeah,
2: But yeah, it does bring up those questions of like, sometimes that relationship between a developer and a CRM company and the other parties, sometimes they want to move so fast that maybe safety concerns aren't addressed properly Mm -hmm. or fully ahead of time. And I'm wondering if as this story continues, if we're going to find out more that maybe safety was less of a priority when they were planning this project, which is unfortunate. Yeah.
0: Well, and I can think of one more circumstance that I was just thinking of, because I didn't think of it from a chemical standpoint, but still a dangerous situation an archaeologist can be. in. when Mm -hmm. we worked on the, my company that I have, I worked on the China Lake Naval Weapons Center. Right. Obviously, yeah. I mean, anything metal, we weren't allowed to even touch. Yeah. Right? You had
2: rules from the Navy.
0: We did. That you they had knew. to follow. Yeah, Because they knew. And yeah. we had explosive ordnance technicians with us mm-hmm. at all times. Each crew had an EOD person with them. Mm-hmm. Explosive ordnance disposal. Mm-hmm. And we were supposed to stop for anything metal. We weren't supposed to poke at it, kick it, or touch it. Because mm-hmm. it could be an unexploded piece of ordnance. And not only that. So that's hazardous to your health, if mm-hmm. that goes off. But also... The Navy and and the military in general likes to use in some weapons and I think it's I think it's for like armor piercing bullets and stuff like that, but also other things. They use depleted uranium, which is highly radioactive. Oh,
2: okay. So it's not just the explosion that was the potential problem, but the
0: could actually be radioactive. Yeah, yeah, totally. So you don't want to pick it up. Even like what
2: about like a can dump? Could you get in there and record that safely, or did you have to let your guy go through it first?
0: Uh well, I don't think we found a single one of those. Oh, you didn't? Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, I because guess people
2: weren't there, so
0: they weren't they were there in some settlements, so mm-hmm. we did find some settlements that would have had stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But that was clearly like a house area. Yeah. So that was okay. Mm-hmm. But just walking out on the landscape, that's where it was really dangerous because it was ranching before the nineteen forties when the Navy took over. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any like real mining or anything out there where they would have had established mm-hmm. mines and stuff where you would find a can dump mm-hmm. and when people are ranching out there they don't have can dumps generally they might have a couple of cans where they stopped and had lunch and just chucked them on the ground right but no like big things like that yeah. so for those random one-off things yeah we were still supposed to call eod over and say hey you know poke Check at it this. out and, yeah you know archaeologists use pin flags to mm-hmm. like like you see the you know the phone company or something using
2: yeah um, like a metal the metal yeah. shaft and then the plasticky right. bit on the top well, yeah in this
0: project we weren't allowed to use metal pin flags we had to use fiberglass pin flags mm-hmm. because anything metal that you poke into the ground could just poke into something that yeah. could explode yeah and so fiberglass crazy. is less likely to make it do that right <laughs> so the scarier pieces of um well so they had these different kinds of cluster bombs that mm-hmm. they would test out there and only one in every you know 10 or 20 or something like that had a shotgun shell-like cartridge in it mm-hmm. that would let off a smoke bomb. So they're the rest were inert. They were dummy oh, bombs. Oh,
2: okay. Yeah. But
0: you never know which one of those has the shotgun shell in it that didn't go off. Right. And even though it's a, a small charge for one of these things, it could still take your hand off or, you know, shoot through your uh, chest or something like that. So the scariest ones of those, because some of them are like baseball sized, like softball sized, mm-hmm. were the ones that you're just walking along and you happen to be standing there and you see just a little bit of it peeking out of the sand. They're not like sitting on the surface
2: a lot of oh, times. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's so scary because, like, you could see just a little bit of it, but how yeah. many are just, oh, how many did you not see? You right, know, is the right. question. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. All
0: right. Well, this doesn't really have anything to do with Jerusalem. It has so.
2: nothing to do with Jerusalem or archaeology. Well, a little, little
1: well, bit with archaeology, but yeah. safety
2: and archaeology. Yeah. And I just thought it would be fun to give a quick update on Miami since we have talked about that right. site so much on this show. So go read the article. We'll link to it. Make your own judgments on how they did or did not break yeah. safety rules. And yeah, it's just an ongoing drama down there, it sounds like.
0: And I wouldn't be surprised if even the 2,500-year-old privies they were digging out from the first article <laughs> had material in it that wasn't completely hardened and solid.
2: Oh, probably. I mean,
0: these things... Probably
2: super gross.
0: It was probably super gross. And they probably had they protective gear probably on.
2: had... To, yeah, yeah. That's why you have to wear the safety gear on old hospital yeah. sites, too, is because you don't know what kind of microbes might be there that could be bad so be safe everybody just just be safe out there
0: well on that note i think we'll leave it so we'll see you next week with something else all right bye thanks for listening to the archaeology show feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.arcpodnet.com find us on facebook instagram and twitter at arcpodnet Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, Dig Tech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. And was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network.